0: Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that in these moments of worship you are here by your Spirit. And so we pray that you would now send forth your light from heaven to us on earth in the power of your Spirit. Show us, we pray, Christ Jesus, your Son, in all his beauty, in all his glory. And may we hear and respond and obey to his living word, In his name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to find the Pew Bible and to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, the Pew Bible, page 850, Children's Bible, page 1085. And as we're all finding that together, I want to thank you. You sure know how to make somebody from Scotland feel at home. Uh, I'm going to be taking this back and suggesting we do this every Sunday. Um, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to be here with you today. And of course, many of you know uh, the reason for being here is, uh, in large part, to say thank you to you for your great kindness uh, to us as a church family in Aberdeen. Uh, just sitting reading about the kirking of the Tardan and all that it means. Uh, of course, so much of Scotland coming to America, a chance uh, for you today to give thanks to God for all that Scotland has given to you. Uh, me coming from Scotland to you is a chance for me to thank you for all that America has given to us and you folks in particular at First Prayers in Columbia, the Easter Thanksgiving offering. I want to thank you very warmly and very sincerely on behalf of our whole church family for that immense, immense kindness and great generosity that is really transforming what we're able to do in Aberdeen. and. Uh, I want to thank you for that. And I also want to bring you personal greetings from Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he, he, he wishes it was him here instead of me. I know that very, uh, very deeply. He would love to be with you and Dorothy and him together. Send you their warmest greetings uh, from us in Aberdeen. Let's hear God's word together. Mark's Gospel and reading from verse 1 of chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread... She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. May God bless his holy word to us. Friends, I want to say to you this morning something that many of you know, I'm sure already, that with God, things are not always as they seem. With God, sometimes the opposite of what you think is happening is actually happening. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus? It is the meek who will inherit the earth. Blessedness is with the poor in spirit, the mourning, the hungry. And here in Mark chapter 14 is the most stunningly beautiful example of learning afresh. That when it comes to God and when it comes to money and when it comes to our love of Christ, everything is not as it seems. I think this is one of the most beautiful stories, certainly one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. One extraordinary truth to share with you this morning. Just one thing, and it's this. Waste reveals worth. Waste reveals worth. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke The flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who saw it and said to themselves indignantly, Do you see the words in the text? What a waste. What a waste. It's amazing, isn't it? This woman has taken something very, very precious and she exhausts it on Christ. There is none left. It's gone. It's spent. It's finished. And others say, She wasted it. She wasted it. What she has done is taken something that was probably the equivalent to a year's earnings, 300 denarii. It's very possible that this woman didn't herself have earning capacity. Very likely that this nard was a family heirloom, the kind of thing you might have in your home passed down through the generations. There is sentimental as well as monetary value to this. This is a public display of taking the very best thing in your home, the thing that is most precious to you and lavishing it on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worth everything to this woman, everything. What I want you to think about with me this morning is this. Why? Why is he worth everything to her? Why does she esteem the Lord Jesus so much? Here's another way of asking it. What does this woman see That no one else can see. Did you see the answer in the passage? Jesus tells us Himself, verse 8, she has done what she could. Leave her alone. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And as we read those words, we're meant to say to ourselves, ah, this is end of life care. This is end of life care. See, if your best friend, I don't know who comes to mind when you hear that, your closest loved one, imagine if that person was facing execution unjustly. What would you be willing to spend on them in the final hours of their life? It happens all the time, doesn't it? A loved one is dying of Cancer. And what happens then is that the family members scrabble around, they find more money than they've ever had in their lives, they find $10,000, $15,000, they take it out of the bank and they go and spend that money on the holiday of a lifetime, don't they? Let's form precious memories together. And as you see that happening, friends, who in their right mind would go up to that person spending the money and say to them, what a waste, don't you know they're going to be dead soon? Who spends money on a dying person? No, no, we'd never say that, would we? We'd never venture thoughts like that. It's the opposite. The the closer death encroaches, isn't it true, the greater the value of the life becomes. The more death comes close, the greater the value of the life is cherished by us. And this woman, she, she only, she only in that room sees that the worth of Jesus is coming slowly into crystal clear view. And it is because of what he is about to do. Just look at the, the, the exact wording in verse 8 again with me. I think we're so used to this, we, we don't shudder as we hear it read. We don't notice it. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Isn't that astonishing, beforehand, you don't anoint living bodies for burial. no, you anoint, uh, anoint dead bodies for burial. Mary is saying, friends isn't, isn't she? She's saying to everybody, to the people in this room, to you and me today, she' is saying, "Look, can't you see a tomb is being cut? she's saying, "Listen, can't you hear?" A stone is being hewn. Mark chapter 14, everybody thinks they are at a dinner party. But Mary, this woman, knows she is at a wake for the living dead. Why can't everybody else see? Why can't they hear? Well, I've given you a clue already. I've used this woman's name. Do you know her? Mary if you read across from John's Gospel, John tells us that Mark's unnamed woman was the sister of Lazarus, Mary. I wonder if you've ever wondered why it is that at Lazarus' tomb, that famous story where the Lord Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, calls him out of the tomb, why did he weep at Lazarus' tomb? Why the tears at the graveside? Isn't it strange if, if you are the Lord of life and you know you are about to raise your friend from the dead? Why shed tears at his graveside? Well, John tells us why. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled that phrase deeply moved it is a very weak rendering a very weak re- rendering of a word that literally means Jesus was outraged and put that meaning back into that verse again as he saw Mary weeping and the Jews weeping he was outraged in his spirit and greatly troubled that word for outrage, for, for deeply moved, it's, it's the word that is used for the snorting of horses. You see them rising up on their, on their hind legs, their nostrils flaring, their front legs pawing the air, the horses ready to meet the danger facing it. It, it is a word for deep, profound anger, emotional indignation. How dare you is the sense of the word. Why did Jesus feel like that at Lazarus' tomb? I want you to listen to two amazing voices. I'm going to blend their words together and give you them all together in one go. Benjamin Warfield, John Calvin, reflecting on John's gospel. Here's what they said. Listen to this. In that moment, staring at Mary weeping, Christ was gazing into the skeleton face of the world and in her tears tracing the reign of sin and death throughout the world. For the whole earth was to the Lord Jesus but the valley of the shadow of death. And in these tears which were shed in his presence, he saw that the whole ocean of time whose waters of deep woe are full of the salt of human tears. The distress of Mary and her, and her companions enraged him, because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, Christ contemplates the general misery of the whole human race, and he burns with rage against the oppressor of humankind. Inextinguishable fury seizes him. It is death which is the object of his wrath, and behind death him who has the power of death, and him whom he has come to overthrow and destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill Christ's eyes, but his soul is filled with rage, and he advances to Lazarus' tomb as a champion prepared for conflict. Isn't it beautiful? And Mary, Mark says, Mary gets it. Mary understands Because Mary had seen it. She was there at the tomb firsthand. The Lord of life has come to give his life. The Lord of life who ever lived with his Father in glory, world without end, the eternal Son, has come, bound himself to human nature and will enter the pit, will enter the tomb. He has come to die so that Mary, me, you might live. Oh, says Mary, for a man like you, Lord, for you, there is no expense I will spare. You, the Lord of life, enraged enough to now crush death beneath your feet. Oh, you, Lord, you are everything to me. And it is what she wastes in that moment that reveals what he is worth. This is not a strange concept to us, friends. This is what we do all the time. You know the kind of marriage advice that young couples are given? Back in the United Kingdom, couples are told, Christian couples getting married, the couple that prays together stays together. It's true, I think. But here's another, I think even more true. The couple that wastes time together stays together. Isn't that true? The couple that wastes time together stays together. Think about it. The husband says, I love you, darling. I'm all yours. You're the best thing I've got. You're the best thing since sliced bread. Let's spend some time together. I can fit you in on Tuesday for 15 minutes. Uh, Let me look at my daughter. I've got a free half-hour slot on Saturday. Let me just confirm with, with my PA. She'll be in touch. You and I know that. Couple are not together for long, are they? Over in the United Kingdom, we have piggybacked on your wonderful high culture show, The Apprentice. Uh, There's a UK UK equivalent to it. In in the United Kingdom, President Trump on your US show, President Trump is Lord Alan Sugar, highly successful, uh, ruthless London-based businessman. And Alan Sugar, Lord Alan Sugar tells the story of how he once signed a birthday card to his wife. He signed the card, Lord Alan Sugar. And he says, of course, it was, he says, let me tell you, it was a memorable birthday. <coughs> For all the wrong reasons. But it's, it's understandable, isn't it? A secretary puts things in front of his face. They're all pilot papers. He signs, moves one to the other. Lord Alan Sugar, Lord, Alan, swipe left. And a precious person belittled. A precious relationship damaged. But imagine the opposite, friends. Imagine the husband who says to his wife, I'm yours all weekend. Let's spend the weekend together. No phone, no email, no work. You and me together all weekend. How much time you give someone shows their worth to you, doesn't it? For this woman, for Mary, the Lord Jesus is worth extravagant devotion. And what looks like waste, what looks like pouring something down down the the plug hole is in fact the single most clear-eyed thing anybody can ever do. For there is nothing, nothing in her view and I pray in your view and my view, nothing more precious than the Lord Jesus himself. This woman gives, Mary gives, because she knows who he is. I know that when I was with you last year, I used the famous words of C.T. Studd. I don't use them every single sermon, just when I'm with you. C.T. Studd said, do you remember? If Christ is God and died for me, there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. And we hear that and we like it and we think, yes, how fitting. If he is God and died for me, no sacrifice I make could be too great for him. You may remember what I told you last time, Helen Rosevere, the medical missionary to the Congo. Same mission organization as C.T. Studd. She, she loved C.T. Stud's life and work, but she said, you know what, he was only nearly right. He was only nearly right. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, in fact, then there is no sacrifice that I can make. All that is left is privilege. All that is left is privilege. Friends, I want you to look at the passage again with me, this astonishingly beautiful thing that Mary is doing. What is other people's reaction to what she does? For when you love the Lord Jesus like this, friends, I want to say to you this morning, here is what you need to know. People who love money will not understand that Jesus is worth more. What happens as she does it? Verse 4, there were some who said indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? Think what we could have done with it. It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor and they scolded her. What they're saying is the metrics are wrong. The economics are wrong. There is no strategy, no long-term plan. Look look what you've done. You've ruined the the five-year growth plan that we had. No, these are not enemies of Jesus saying this. These are friends of Jesus speaking. And here's what they're saying. Lord Jesus, you are worth something to us. We're quite glad to be here with you this evening at this dinner party. It's very pleasant. You are worth something to us. But you're not worth this. You're not worth this. Isn't it true? Very few people have have a problem with too much wealth or too much sex or too much influence but plenty of people have a very big problem with too much religion. A little bit of Jesus in moderation, a couple of special services a year, that's fine. Christmas, Easter, a little bit of religion goes a long way but extravagant devotion to Christ, all out love, for Jesus, spending a lot on Jesus, sometimes being so overwhelmed with joy, you cannot but lift your hands and cry in praise. Very, very few people are happy with that. You know, one of the most amazing things about Scotland, of course, you know that Scotland. Centuries ago was the world leader in world missions, turn of the 20th century, a missionary convention in Edinburgh and Scotland, sent out from their vast numbers to all the edges of the earth. It was the, the, the hotbed, the intellectual think tank of world missions from Scotland. Of course, so much has gone the opposite way. You can imagine our joy many years ago when we had a young couple in our church family preparing to go from Scotland again to be missionaries. And this young couple really had the world at their feet. Both Cambridge graduates, theology, linguistics, their gifts, their capabilities could really have taken them anywhere in the world to do anything. And here they were standing at the front of church with two small children in their arms and running around heading to one of the most difficult parts of the globe. And that very morning, my wife and I had some friends on our street. We'd been getting to know some uh, folks in our community, not believers, very definitely on the outside looking in. And they happened to come with us to church that morning. And as they watched what was happening, the wife in this couple leaned across to my, wa- my wife, Angela, and said to her, what on earth are they doing? And then she said, they look so normal. Surely it's only weird people do that sort of thing. This couple, this world at their feet? Are, are you able with me to translate what that friend was saying? Isn't she saying this? What a waste. What a waste. And she's saying to us, "Look, this is okay being with you. It's glad we're glad you've invited us. It's nice. You guys seem to take it all a bit more seriously than other people, I guess, but that's okay, but, but that? No, that's not okay. Taking your children to a place like that, away from their grandchildren, homeschooling them like that, putting yourself and them in harm's way like that. Jesus is worth something, but not that. Friends, this morning, my assumption is that everybody in this room, in the same way that everybody in my Trinity family back in Aberdeen, my assumption is that everybody in every church sanctuary space like this all over your country and all over the world my assumption is that everybody in some form or other learns to give but not everybody has learned to waste. Not everybody is comfortable with this kind of devotion to Christ, are they? I want to ask you this morning, you will be wasting your resources on something. Why, why not him? Some of us haven't yet learned really how our resources work have we do you remember the widow in mark chapter 12 do you remember what she did what did what did the widow give to god jesus sees the offering happening in the temple and he spots the widow and what does she put in two cents into the offering plate ah says jesus she is giving everything 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 he sees other people dropping in the big money bags, the clank at the bottom as the money hits the bottom, $10, $15, 20000000 million, and Jesus says they are giving nothing, nothing. Why? Friends, it is because, isn't it true, some of us need to learn that the value of a gift to God The value of that gift does not lie in the number of zeros on the end. The value of the gift to God lies in the cost of the gift to the giver. That's the value. That's how it works. Everything with God and money and resources and love and time is not as it seems. I know how true it is, friends. Some of you have given and given and given again in so many different contexts. Some of us are fearful of giving too much because we've seen our giving wasted. Isn't that right? You supported somebody, you gave, and it came to nothing. A ministry failed instead of flourishing. There is no tangible fruit that you can see from what you're doing. I want to finish with this to encourage you. Let me tell you about Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Many people the world over know how Cranmer met his end, burnt at the stake, And burnt at the stake by putting into the flames the very hand that had held his pen months, weeks earlier, recanting his faith. When he recanted his recantation, it was that hand he put into the flames. But not everybody today knows that if you are in an Anglican church, an Episcopal church, anywhere in the world, you owe the very existence of that building to Cranmer's life and efforts. Listen to this. The burning Dying Cranmer saw nothing with his natural eyes, but only a bleak Friday, good Friday. Just like the death of the Lord Jesus, how did it look? The complete and utter failure and destruction of all that he believed. And did you know that? As Cranmer burnt to death, all around him, everything that he had worked for and prayed for and longed for lay in ruins, destroyed, but... That was Friday. The unseen Easter reality was Queen Elizabeth's restoration of all of Cranmer's accomplishments and their abiding nurture over subsequent centuries. And he did not see it. He died, he felt, a failure, with all destroyed. Friends, let me encourage you this morning. I want to say to you with, again, the thanks of one church family in Aberdeen, for your giving and for all that you have done for us, I want to say to you, all is not as it seems with God. When we give and give and love and love, he takes what we give. God is the one who grows. God is the one who prospers. All we need to do is love him and adore him. Can you see what... Mary can see. If you can, dear friends, then lavish the Lord Jesus with what you have, with all that you have, and simply be faithful to Him, and God will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, how glad we are to be yours. And how glad we are this very day to not only be yours, but to belong to one another. And so as we treasure the rich gospel legacy of a land like Scotland, given to a land like this, as we treasure the beginnings of new relationship and deep gospel partnership and connection, so we lay it all at your feet. There is nothing we have that we did not receive from you. We pray, Lord Jesus, for our sight of you to only grow clearer, stronger, truer. Oh, the wonder that you, the Lord of life, should even come close to death, and yet you tasted death. Oh, for all that you have given, we praise and thank you. We lay ourselves at your feet in adoration and praise and ask you to receive these faltering words, these stumbling steps, these trembling hands. We give them all to you in your precious name. Amen.